0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox & Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak
2: backstage
1: and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox & Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Keski of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting
2: for? It's time to become a Vox & Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 83 of that one time on tour is brought to you by Living Album Art. Living Album Art is a motion graphic art business that specializes in bringing iconic album art to life using various types of animation and overlays. They've been working with independent artists and labels to help create high quality and unique promotional content. Recently, Living Album Art announced that they will be releasing a Thrice tribute compilation containing various covers of songs performed by independent artists who have worked with the company. Volume 1 of the Living Album Art Tribute Index will be released on all streaming platforms February 2nd, 2020. Be sure to follow Living Album Art on Instagram and Facebook at living underscore album underscore art. Now here it is, the first track from the Thrice Tribute compilation, Fire Breather by the band Havoc Faction.
1: This is roger from no motive and you are listening to that one time on tour
2: Do it again. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is the first time that you are joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have an awesome conversation. Thank you guys so much for checking out last week's episode with Josh Mann from the amazing band Paper Arms. I know Paper Arms is not that big here in the States, but like I said, they're one of my favorite bands, and I had Josh on last week, and you guys really liked it. I had so much feedback, so many emails, and I actually had a lot of people very interested in his old band. They're called God So Love The World. And Josh sent me some of that, and coming up on a future episode, I will be playing some on a radio segment. So once again, thank you for listening last week to Josh and me ramble about all kinds of cool stuff from Australia and everything else. But uh, we're going to have Josh back on the program in the future. He's working on a solo record right now, and he's got some solo dates in Germany. So uh, go check out Paper Arms, and yeah, you're going to love them. They're great. (laughs) this week on the show i got to sit down with mr roger camaro from no motive he also plays in the warriors which those two bands could not be more opposite but i love both of them roger and i spoke about uh the 20 year anniversary reunion shows they did for their first record and the sadness prevails out on vagrant records they remixed remastered they put it out and it sounds amazing And, uh, Roger actually was the one that mixed the entire new record or the, the, the new remix of the old record. So, uh, we talk about that on the, on the podcast and just talk about everything else. I, I really love No Motive. They were a band that really kind of, it hit me, man. I, when I heard that, that their debut on Vagrant, I just, I couldn't get enough. And I got their next record, Diagram for Healing, and I got Daylight Breaking, and I just, the the Lola EP, like I, everything No Motive, I had to have it. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy that. Before I get to my conversation with Roger, I do need to tell you about my amazing sponsors. I do it every week. Permanence Tattoo Gallery over in Anderson, Indiana. Meridian Street, downtown. My buddy Jacob Harrison, past guest of the show, is the owner. It is an awesome tattoo shop. So if you're in central Indiana or if you want to travel to get some amazing ink, head on over there. And they'll take care of you. You can check them out on the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. I also want to give a shout out to my buddy Kyle over at Living Album Art. This is the second time that they've sponsored an episode. His band, Havoc Faction, has actually sponsored three or four episodes. But uh this one was for Living Album Art. He does some really, really cool things. He animates like when I had Tucker from Thursday on the on the show, he animated a Thursday record. Like uh, I think it was War All the Time, and I used that to help promote the show. But Kyle does some amazing stuff, so you guys need to check them out. It's at Living underscore Album underscore Art, and he'll he'll take care of you. If you tell him that tell him that I sent you, and I'm sure he'll give you the pro rate. So if you want to sponsor an episode, if you have a band or a company or anything, is this you're just a person and you want to sponsor an episode because you want me to talk about, you know, our our Patreon producer, Bob Foster, his cat's name is Lars. And he became a producer because he wanted me to give a shout out to Lars Fredrickson from Rancid about his cat who is named after Lars. So you can do all that kind of cool stuff. Speaking of Patreon, actually, I didn't even say that. If you want to be a sponsor, hit me up. T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com or on any of the socials at T-O-T-O-T podcast. Now, if you want to become a Patreon, a patron, uh, you head over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast, and you can help us out on a financial level. We have three tiers over there. $2 a month gets you a shout out. Excuse me. $2 a month gets you a shout out on the program. $5 a month gets you bonus content. And $25 a month, which is what Bob signed up for at Punk Rock Bob Foster. He is our Patreon producer. You get to be a producer of the show and uh, give me really cool ideas and help out with stuff and and get shout outs for, to our guests from your pets. <laughs> so head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast and get involved. If you guys don't want to help out financially, that is totally fine. This show will always be free. The best thing you can do if you want to help out the show, you enjoy the show, wherever you listen, subscribe, rate, and review. I know on Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that, but then on different places like Stitcher and Spotify, you can follow or you can, you can rate, I think, on most things. But that would help us out a lot because that puts us with other podcasts and helps people find the show. So if you guys want to do that, that would be amazing. I would really appreciate it. Now, we have the holidays coming up. And I've had a few people hit me up, and they're like, you know, some people have Amazon wish lists, blah blah blah. Like, I, you don't have to get me anything, but I know there are some people out there that really enjoy the show, and uh, I guess they have money to burn, which I don't have that problem. So if you guys, <clears throat> if you're feeling crazy, and you want to send me a gift, some people have asked. I'm I'm not just like throwing this out there because I'm not begging for gifts. But if you want to check it out, most of the stuff on it is super, super expensive. That's not because I think you'll buy it for me. That is a deterrent that uh, you will not buy it for me. But uh, we have a TOTOT Amazon wish list over at our website, TOTOTpodcast.com. You can also get all the listening options, a little bio about me, and you can donate. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. So head on over to TOTOTpodcast.com and check it out. Now, news with me, I am pretty excited. I've been writing songs recently, which is a thing that I haven't done for a long time. And uh, I know I've spoken on the podcast before about maybe doing like an EP with some guests. Uh, And that's still something that might happen. But right now, I am sort of resurrecting my old band, The Widow Jenkins. Man, I've got a frog in my throat. Excuse me. See, this is real and raw, man. I'm not editing any of this but uh i'm trying to reboot the The Widow Jenkins and I think it'll be really cool i've uh talked to my old drummer who Jake, who actually was in the Ataris with me, and then Adam our singer he's heard a couple of the demos that i've I've been doing and there's nothing you know nothing concrete we don't we're not going to tour we 're not going to do anything crazy. Just write and record maybe a record and uh on an upcoming episode, I might give you guys a taste of one of the songs that I'm working on. But I'm pretty excited about that. If you want to check out what The Widow Jenkins sounds like, we have all of our old demos and all of our old studio tracks on Spotify and Apple Music. Just search for The Widow Jenkins. And uh, if anybody out there knows where we got that name, email me, and if you get it correct, I will send you some sort of prize. Uh, And don't Google. If you know it, you know it. it. It's... It's a pretty obscure place that we got the name The Widow Jenkins. So, um, yeah, that's what's going on with me, hanging out with my kids, my wife, getting ready for Christmas, and uh, talking to you guys on the old Internet. So uh, I wanted to tell you guys I am doing this thing. It's the top five albums of 2019. I have my top five ready to go. It was really, really hard to narrow down. I'm not going to read them today. I'm going to probably do it closer to the end of the year But uh, if you guys want to be featured in our top five albums of 2019, make sure to email me, hit me up on the socials, whatever you've got to do. You can even call the hotline that is 765-372-8818. Let me know where you're from. Let me know your name and let me know your top five albums of 2019. And you might be featured on an episode. So without further ado, I'm going to go into... A radio segment that I think you guys will really, really enjoy. So cue the theme music. Radio, 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 radio,
0: radio, radio. When I've got the music, I've got the
2: On this edition of T O T O T Radio, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep it in the family, man. On this program today, Mr. Roger Camaro from No Motive. Most of the conversation kind of revolves around No Motive and their 20-year anniversary of their debut record. But we also talk about his other band, the Warriors. And they have a record coming out this Friday, December 13th. It is entitled Monomyth. And man, it's crazy. I got an advanced copy and it is, it's pretty killer, man. And I was talking to Roger the other day and I said, man, I'd really love to play that. And because I, I, he didn't think I'd be able to play it. But since the record comes out and it's going to be streaming and physical copies and everything available on Friday, I'm going to play the new single. I think you guys are going to love it. This is Roger's other band, The Warriors, and this is their new single, Death Ritual. Hope you guys dig it. We'll death ritual by the warriors make sure that you guys are following the warriors on all the socials just search for the warriors uh spotify apple music everything i'm sure you guys can get physical copies all over the place just google the warriors it's rogers other band and like i said they could not be more different than no motive but i I love both bands so much So thank you guys for listening to me ramble. Make sure you're following us and you're subscribing and you're rating and you're reviewing and you're conversing with me on the socials. I love that. The feedback lately has been amazing. We've been charting. The episodes have been blowing up and uh, we're just going to keep we're going to keep kicking it, man. It's going to be great. So without further ado, I am going to jump into my conversation with Mr. Roger Camaro from the Warriors and No Motive. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Roger Camaro from No Motive. Is that how you say your last name?
1: That is correct.
2: (laughs) That's that's a great last name, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So uh, how are you doing, man? I know you guys just, you're celebrating the 20-year anniversary of your Vagrant Records debut and the sadness prevails. You've been playing some shows for that. How's everything going?
1: Things are great. Uh, We played two shows last weekend. Um, We did a little hometown show um in Ventura because that's where um uh, the band the band originate originated from Oxnard. Yeah. Um and there's not really all that much for actual music venues in Oxnard these days. So um we played a place called Discovery in Ventura. And then uh the following day we played at the old Chain Reaction in Anaheim. Yeah I've played in I've played camp.
2: Chain many many times man. I love that
1: venue. You know what's crazy about that place? Um, and i'm sure you know uh, it's it's been an all ages venue ever since uh it started which i believe it used to be called public storage back in the day and then it changed to chain reaction but um i think within the last year or so they started serving beer oh really which is
2: crazy to me yeah that is crazy (laughs) i just remember many nights of uh waiting to play like there there is a green room but it's not that great or anything so we'd always be out in the parking lot like talking to kids and stuff it's just a it's a really cool it's almost like tailgating a football game you know
1: oh it is totally totally it is 100 percent tailgating they actually it's they did they did the uh the green room up pretty well also it's it's uh everything's pretty nice i mean it's still it's still very much chain reaction all the t-shirts are still there i still i still Um, get i
2: get text messages from people all the time pictures from like atari shirts that are on the wall
1: (laughs) yeah man yeah it's a trip dude
2: yeah i haven't i haven't been there from since probably like 2009 so yeah it's been quite a while since i've even seen the place
1: um the last time you played there did they um Because I know they kind of expanded the way the room was set up, so it was partitioned a little differently back in the day, and now it's just kind of a wider open type of uh, room with still having that little median kind of breaking the two sides up. But um, they actually put in a better sound system. They have a digital board in there now, so it's much more tour-friendly.
2: Yeah, I like I said I haven't been there for like a decade, so I kind of remember it being a little bit a little bit smaller maybe even the the video that I've seen from like your recent show and some other stuff it looks a little bit bigger.
1: It's a little bigger. It's still probably like you could probably squeeze 300 people in there and and uh, everybody will be you know feeling each other's sweat. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, man. It was it was definitely a great weekend. It was it was a trip because uh that was our first time in uh let's see here since t- 2002 um playing with the original uh Vagrant sadness lineup wow having having uh Pat on drums and me on bass because we kind of uh changed things up after 2002 um I moved to drums and Pat ended up, uh, joining another band. And so there's kind of like different eras to, to no motive. So this was, uh, this was definitely a reunion of sorts.
2: Yeah. I thought it was funny. Like when I, when I hit you up and we got this all set up through Mike and everything, I was like, so what are you actually playing? Because I have a I have an art director that does the artwork for the show, and he yeah, always yeah. he always scours the internet to find pictures of the guest. And I was like, make sure you find the have him playing what he's actually playing in the band now.
1: You know what's funny about that is, you know in the in the late nineties, there there wasn't digital photography and just ridiculous amounts of. Photographs of of live stuff back then, as as there is now. So I would say, if you were to scour the internet to try to find pictures of me playing bass, it'd probably it would probably be like still pictures from maybe a couple music videos or something like that. But back then, I don't think we really had all that much going on for uh, for live photography. Um, with our band or whatever, we weren't that popular being, especially being a vagrant band. So, um, i I have some stuff from, from this past weekend I could, I could hook you up with. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, I remember,
2: I only saw you guys live one time. I was trying to remember, I don't remember the year, but, uh, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio to this venue called Bogarts to see Str- oh, yeah. Strung Out and you guys were opening.
1: Okay, yeah, 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 I remember that, tour,
2: And I, I had the record because I used to have some friends at Vagrant that sent it to me. And I loved the record. I was a huge fan, but for some reason I wasn't aware you guys were opening. And you guys blew, okay. you, you blew me away that day, man. Like, I love Strung Out. I was going for Strung Out, but I kind of, I left that show being a bigger fan of No Motive. And I oh, followed sweet. you guys all the way up until everything just kind of went away.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that, that was... Uh... I don't know if that was our first time playing Bogarts. It might've been, um, Cincinnati, uh, was, was a cool town for us for sure. I I think we might've played Bogarts, uh, maybe at least three times. Um, some pretty, pretty wild lineups. I remember, I think we might've did, uh, MXPX out there. We, I feel like, uh, I might be tripping. Maybe, uh, Maybe we were on tour with MXPX and there was a day off before our show, and so I think we might have saw Goldfinger with Ignite. Okay. <laughs> That's, Goldfinger with that, Ignite—that's a crazy yeah, lineup, if, yeah. If that doesn't sound wild, I don't know what does. <laughs> well, you you but, yeah. guys
2: you guys did a lot of touring back in the day. I mean, you guys toured with Jimmy Eat World, Blink One Eighty Two, MXPX, Face to Face, Alkaline Trio. I mean, yeah. Did was it just a pretty steady? touring cycle after the album started dropping or, or, cause I know you guys haven't played for quite a while. What was it like in the thick of it when, you know, when the debut came out and everything?
1: We were, we were definitely, uh, I, I would say we were spoiled little, little brats because we were, we were still very young when we put out that record. Um, I believe I was just, uh, I had just turned eighteen, maybe wow. when wow. we when we recorded that, and and Max, our guitar player, I think he was still sixteen when <laughs> That's when crazy uh, man when we were <laughs> touring for that record. So, um, I think the first tour we did for Sadness was uh, opening up for Face to Face when they uh, put out their cover record before they put out Ignorance Is Bliss, and then we and then we toured the ignorance is bliss tour also and um i think when we did that it was maybe when jimmy world was on some of it yeah so that that was uh that was definitely a treat because that was jimmy world around clarity era before they put out bleed american dude
2: around that time i saw them at this big warehouse that was like where they stored fire trucks in Warsaw, Indiana.
1: And there was like 30, oh, wow.
2: 30 people there. It was crazy.
1: That's intimate, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and
2: it's crazy to think back because I mean, you know, I, I did a lot, most of my like note taking before I talk to people is from things that I see on the internet. And it said that you guys, you know, toured with blink. Did you do like a proper tour with blink? Cause they were still pretty no, big at that point.
1: We never did a proper tour with them. We did, uh, a handful of dates. We, I know we did a one-off one time in Mammoth with them, uh, probably right before Enema came out, I think. Okay. Yeah. And then um, later on down the line, that when we did that first show at Blink, it was when, I think it was before we, we put out our second Vagrant album. And then... Uh, later on down the line we did i think it was three shows with blink and alkaline trio wow we opened we opened up that um we opened up that bill and there was a seattle uh san francisco and la show so not necessarily a tour but uh just a handful of dates and i believe that was when we were supporting uh, our diagram for healing album
2: which is also another great record and i can't wait till you guys celebrate the 20 year for that
1: <laughs> oh man thank you uh yeah i i hope we can get it together for that as well um that would definitely be a lot of fun so Absolutely.
2: in in the beginning i know you guys did a lot of seven inches on edge records you ended up leaving edge to sign with vagrant how did that all happen How how did you come to their like for them to know who you guys were and want to work with
1: you? Um, well, the, the seven inches that we had put out were actually on, uh, a local label called it's alive. Oh
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. They, by, the,
1: the, the guy that runs,
2: friend, uh, what what's the guy's name that runs it? Cause he follows the Instagram. He actually wanted me to ask you about those seven inches. <laughs> oh,
1: Nice. His name is uh Fred hammer. Yes. Yeah, shout out
2: to Fred. He hits me up all the time, man. Shout out.
1: Oh yeah. He's, he's awesome, man. He's still very involved in, uh, our local scene, uh, the, the term that we like to call uh, our community is is Nardcore. You, you got um, you guys,
2: you guys kind of coined the term the the term Sadcore, correct?
1: I guess so. <laughs> it was it was kind of <laughs> maybe a little bit of a like a not a joke, but yeah. it was it was never meant to be like, hey, we're creating a genre of music, but it was uh It was just a period in time where our friends' bands and us were we were pretty bumming around that around that time of life, and so uh I think we just kind of jokingly called it sadcore.
2: Yeah, I had I had uh, some I had Scott from Pulley and a couple other guys on the show, so I've I've gotten an education on the Nardcore scene as of late.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, you know what's up. Yeah, yeah. scared straight. Oh yeah, which turned into Temple Pole, turned into Pulley. Yeah, that whole that whole uh, business right there, and then you got uh, RKL. Oh yeah, definitely. I guess which... Joey
2: Joey from uh, Lagwagon was on a couple of weeks back. and We were talking about RKL and the whole Nardcore thing. It was great.
1: Yeah, man. There's a lot of history there that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know about. And so whenever we get a chance to talk about hardcore, um, we definitely like to do it. So yeah, get, getting back to the whole the whole it's alive thing. Fred put out the first two uh, seven inches for the band. This is before I was in the band. Okay. And then um, from there, um, another local label. Uh, the edge records they put out cynical, the first full length record um by the band and then uh, I think all this work that that the dudes had been putting in, playing a ton of local shows, going on like shorter runs to to norcal and stuff like that, I think that coupled with Pat's uh, ability to kind of forge relationships with people kind of help steer us towards vagrant i know that basically pat bugged the crap out of rich <laughs> yeah. for an extended amount of time and finally got him and and john cohen to go see the band play in oxnard at uh a place called laser star which was a laser tag place that we had uh established as like the place to play in Oxnard for punk and hardcore shows and uh I think that's that's what did it. I think they saw the the amount of work that the band had put in on their own and saw the potential there and that's I think that's what what led the band to Vagrant and then uh before I joined the band they recorded two songs that ended up being on uh, sadness for the first vagrant comp, the five years on the streets. Okay. And so
2: that, the, the fact that you guys, I I know you guys, it was produced by Trevor Keith of face to face. Was that a relationship that came about through the vagrant relationship?
1: Absolutely. Because, uh, rich at the time and for a very long time was managing face to face and, um, him and, Trevor, obviously, were, were very close. And so Trevor had actually produced one other record on Vagrant for a band called Boxer.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that
1: um, band. And they were great. They, I believe they only put out one record, or at least one record on Vagrant. And so I think that was the first time Trevor did a Vagrant record. And then um, we were we were all huge face-to-face fans growing up and i think just the opportunity presented itself and we were totally all about it and next thing you know trevor shows up to pat's house to watch his (laughs) practice and we're like whoa this is this is wild
2: (laughs) so so he was doing some pre-production with you guys like figuring stuff out before you hit the studio
1: for sure yeah we had uh i think we had most of the record written at least musically, before we got into the studio. I think we had at least all the ideas for everything. Maybe not lyrically, but musically, we had it all pretty much laid out. And um, Trevor definitely helped kind of shape things and maybe cut the fat here and there. And I know you helped Jeremy a lot with uh, melodies and kind of pushing him to, to do different stuff and being uh being the guitar player that he is and the and the tone dude that he is he he brought a lot to the table um with all of that stuff so it was definitely cool working with Trevor
2: Was it was it a different experience being in the studio with like a somewhat larger label kind of behind everything like was there a lot of pressure for this new re- for the for the first debut record on that label
1: I think we were just so enthusiastic that we were doing a record with trevor in uh in a studio that it was the first time i had worked in there but the the other dudes had recorded uh stuff there prior to this recording um max our guitar player his dad pat mcdonald he he's a recording engineer um and so the dudes had recorded with pat in there back in the day and so um, I think there was a sense of familiarity for them and that brought comfort and, and where we recorded, uh, is about 30 minutes from, from Oxnard in Ojai in the mountains. And so everything just kind of felt comfortable. The working environment that Trevor and Chad Blinman put together for us was, was really nice. And so sure, there was, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, pressure on ourselves just because you know we we, we just didn't want to suck <laughs> and we were yeah. we were we were kids and so i think there's there's that amount of ignorance where you just don't even know how to fully comprehend what you're doing and so you're just in the moment and so uh i think what also helped us was that we we tracked the record live um so the drums and the bass were we played every song together and we kept the drum and bass takes and so it was pretty much like as long as pat and i nailed our parts jeremy and max um went over that and uh and recorded their guitars they actually they actually double tracked their rhythm guitars for the record and that's kind of why the guitars sound so so large they
0: sound very very big
1: yeah yeah um and i i didn't really realize that while we were maybe i did while we were recording it but obviously it's like 20 years ago and there's only so much there's only so much uh from that experience that I, i was able to to take away mentally but uh when i did the remix for the record uh i was able to obviously see how how they went about recording everything and uh yeah man those guitar tracks are are very large there's like two mics um i believe what they did was use two different guitar amps per performance okay and so there's there's one mic on each amp and then they're they're played twice so yeah wall of sound to say the least
2: so you said that you remixed so you you did this whole remix for the 20-year anniversary the re-release did yeah was everything originally 20 years ago on tape it was so so you had to like put everything into digital format correct
1: absolutely yeah the 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 original album was track analog mix analog and the only time that it uh it got digital was when they turned it into a cd so um yeah that whole rewinding the tape cutting tape changing reels when it when it when it got to mixing different songs all that went down um that stuff we totally take for granted nowadays oh yeah
2: i remember learning in recording school how to do the razor blade editing where you actually like cut drum fills together and everything
1: yeah man that's some cra- that's, you know, that's the Black Album. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. To learn how to do the Black Album, and uh, man, that's nerve-wracking, right? You know what's up with oh, yeah. that. yeah, yeah, totally. That's, that's crazy stuff, making sure you got the the, uh, the cut at the right angle for whatever it is that you're going for. Um,
2: well, it's like back in the day when they made albums to tape, and like I, I knew some people that didn't use click tracks for recording drums, and I'm like, how are you going to cut the stuff together if you don't use a click track?
1: It's nuts, right? Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, so when when uh when we got the idea, it was Pat's idea to to have me remix the record because he had gotten the reels from Vagrant and we got the clearance to, to work with it. So uh one of my best friends, Armon, uh he, he has a studio in Ventura and he inherited a two inch machine from, from another studio out here and uh it was at, I think transferring the record to Pro Tools was the was the guinea pig project for, for Armand to make sure that the tape machine was working all right and so. Um, so
2: what what is the process for that? Because I mean, I'm I am a recording engineer. I've done a lot of stuff on tape, a lot of stuff digital. But like, yeah. do you just you play it and you're recording it on different tracks in Pro Tools? Like, what is the process to get that digital?
1: So, uh, this record was recorded on a 24-track 2-inch machine. Okay. And so, as long as we, we, uh, we kind of combined in- recording interfaces, Armon and I, uh, at that time, were both using the same 16-channel um, recording interface, the Lynx Aurora okay. 16. And so, um, uh, we brought ours from our studio in Orange County, and and uh put it together with his and so there's 24 inputs going from analog to digital uh the the tape just plays we we take the output of the 2-inch machine it goes straight into the uh recording interfaces there's no need for for preamps or anything like that and then um yeah he just create 24 create 24 tracks in in pro tools
2: it doesn't matter if it's mixed or anything it's just the raw track is going into the digital input right
1: yeah we're we're not coloring the sound or anything like that just literally transferring um the the tracks from the tape into pro tools all on their own separate channel and then from there go to town on it and uh uh, obviously w- whenever this is nerd talk, but Oh no, this whenever, is great, dude, because I love this kind <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> whenever you're uh, using, whenever you're using a, a tape machine, an old analog tape machine, there's, there's a uh, test tones that they put at the beginning of every reel. You record a test tones. Yeah. And so you have to, what they call calibrate the machine to, to be optimal for whatever frequencies are, are uh, being played. So for every channel on a on a 2-inch machine so 24 for this record you have to go and make sure that all these tones are coming out the right uh output level and then from there you're good to go to transfer it to to digital format
2: when when you did the remix you had all these tracks you know you've got them now in pro tools was there any little like surprises that you didn't remember, like maybe little guitar harmonies or anything that, that you brought up in the mix for the new one?
1: Yeah, man, there was, there was uh there was some backup vocals in there that I was like, all right, is that on the record? Because I'm pretty sure that I'd never heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I think for the most part, we, we used most of what was recorded on the actual album but if you're if you happen to be uh an extreme nerd about whatever is on sadness versus what is on this um remix remaster version there's a couple things that uh i left unmuted that were muted for the original record so um Take, for instance, the very end of the song, The Waiting Hurt, there's a little tagline at the very end that is not on the original version that I left unmuted, and it is on this new version of the record. And then um, the song Stay, uh, Chad Blinman had played a little bit of tambourine for the choruses, and they're hardly audible on the original version, and... That uh, basically begged me to to make them uh, much more apparent on this version, so uh, <laughs> that that is also a little more noticeable. And then uh, the song "So What," uh, we so on the new version throughout that whole breakdown, there is some gang vocals that we had uh, screamed throughout the whole breakdown on the original record. They kind of come in halfway through the breakdown, whereas this time they're they're all they're all the way through the breakdown. So little nerd stuff here and there. <laughs> yeah, um, it was cool. The thing I enjoyed the most was because we're recording the tape, and so they're rolling before that we start the song, and then they leave it rolling quite a bit after we're done with the take. And so, um, it's what all right. So the song tribute on the record, uh, I think the fact that we recorded we recorded uh, playing live and then we're young and we're recording the tape, and we just don't really I don't think we ever really knew how to end a song cleanly. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like weird guitar noodling at the end of a lot of the songs that are still on the record, and then that song in particular, we all cut it we didn't choke the end of the song we didn't ring it out very long so it's kind of a weird awkward ending on the original version and it's still pretty awkward on this version but um there's some talk back that's coming through one of the microphones um and so it being this 20 year old awkward ending of a song i felt like we needed to do something different just to change it up and so if you listen to the new version you can hear the the whole um you could kind of hear the dialogue that's happening I believe between Jeremy and Chad after the song was 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 finished
2: being played. I always like that stuff man like when my first few times I recorded like for my high school bands like they got other guys to be like, take that stuff out. And I'm like, no, that's cool. Have you ever heard like, you know, garage that's days by Metallica. Stuff. It's got all that stuff where they're like yelling at Lars to go, you know?
1: Yeah, man, that stuff's great, dude. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think, uh, one of one of the bands that has done that really well is, uh, R. X. Bandits.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I on, love that band
1: on, on their records. They, they just, they're screaming all over the place because for most of their records, they recorded them, live and yeah. and so you know you got dudes in the in the in the room just screaming at each other and it's it's all in there and it's that's some of my favorite stuff
2: so how involved were you with the mastering process for this new one
1: um d- not very involved whatsoever uh the the dude who mastered it is Paul Miner um, oh
2: yeah from death by stereo
1: absolutely yeah, yeah he's a Paul. legend and and uh i've i've gotten him for for nearly, I'd say, 95% of the records that I've made, I I uh, try to get most of the bands to, to go to him for, for mastering. And so at this point, it's been, oh, I don't know, like 15 years that I've been going to Paul for mastering. And so I used to go there and sit in on the mastering sessions. But I think like a uh, a record that, would probably take an hour or two to master we end up hanging out for like four hours because we're just nerding out and talking (laughs) and stuff so um just to you know save his his time i've for the past couple years i just email him the links to to the the tracks and if there's a specific way I want the sequence to go, I'll just create a Pro Tools session with the songs already laid out and just tell them, like, hey, man, this is roughly how I want the timeline to go on the record, but use your discretion on crossfades and, and all that good stuff. So this time around, I, I just wanted him to, to make the call for, for the sequence. And so I just sent over... The tracks and said hey this is a track listing um enjoy yourself oh well, i think i think i did <laughs> now that i think about it i might have created a timeline for that record too but anyway he's great he he i trust him i don't need to sit in with him he knows what to do
2: so when you're mixing like before it goes to paul you know when you guys mix this or when you know whoever mixed it back in the day 20 years ago they weren't thinking about this but now knowing that it's going to be on vinyl and then there's going to be digital release that's going to basically just be streaming on little tiny phone speakers. When you're yeah. when you're mixing, are you thinking about that? Are you mixing for the different versions?
1: No, not necessarily. Just because if I thought about the fact that all you know, most people are going to listen to this from their from their cell phone speakers, and uh, you know, stream it on whatever I. I so much would get into my head you know yeah vinyl versus digital um i think for the most part i just try to to do mixes with the mentality of trying to make it sound as good as possible i don't really worry about brightness for for digital versus vinyl i just kind of i always try to leave some amount of room for the mastering engineer to work with and you know, Paul, in particular, is so well-versed in the world of punk and, and hardcore that I, just, I trust his ears so much when it comes to his um, making a vinyl master and a, and a digital master. He knows he knows what's up, so, you know, you gotta, you've got to find the people that you, that you uh, trust and just let them do their thing, you know?
2: Yeah. Is, is Vagrant involved in this at all? Or is this kind of like just a self-release thing since you guys have the masters back?
1: Um, the, the vital thing that we did was, was a self-release project, um, which we had to clear through, through BMI or BMG, um, Vagrant. Um, and being that, that record is, you know, they still own the record. Yeah. They, they digitally released the, uh, the new the new mix okay. and and also the accompanying 7-inch the two songs that we recorded for that so um we don't have any sort of like re- like current relationship with them so to speak we we're not like we don't have a contract with them yeah. but they were most definitely kind enough to to put the record out in digital format they didn't we didn't do any sort of like promo campaign or ads or anything like that you would have to just know that it was there or that we were promoting it ourselves you know um we don't have an actual working relationship with the label it was it was just more hey we we need to make sure that we're doing everything by the book for you guys because you know that's how it is
2: so tell me a little bit about the 7-inch, because I know there's like a re-recorded song and then there's also an acoustic track, correct?
1: Yeah, they're actually both songs that are from other records. The uh, the, the side A song is Broken and Burned," uh, which was originally on Diagram for Healing. And the B-side is Life Goes On, which was originally on Daylight Breaking. Uh, both albums were on Vagrant. And um I think we picked Broken and Burn because between the four of us that's probably maybe our favorite song, if not one of our top five favorite songs as a band. And we figure uh we'd have the most fun recreating that.
0: Yes.
1: And um I think I think it was Pat who was pushing for Life Goes On to be recorded for the seven inch and um, he was the one that suggested that we just do it acoustic, keep it simple. because um we we kind of last minute decided to add the seven inch in to this whole uh, vinyl re-release. And so I think we had literally seven days to put that whole thing together wow. and the album mix before having to send it off to to get it pressed in in time for you know before the before the, the year would be over yeah and so there was most definitely time constraints and um we just try to be realistic with what we were able to put together and so um broken and Burn both songs came together rather rather smoothly quickly um and i think uh we when we did broken and burned we kind of called it uh, the adult version <laughs> of the song <laughs> yeah it, if you were to put the two to, against each other the uh, the original's much faster than than the new one um, the new one's tuned a half a step down because Jeremy's voice has changed quite quite a bit throughout the course of uh, throughout the course of time which is evident through every album that we have ever made. If you were to listen to everything chronologically, you'd be like, "Who is this person?" <laughs> yeah, his voice has changed so much. But um, yeah, we just wanted to have fun with it. Uh, my intentions for for that song in particular w- was to um, have the mix be inspired by the the Pixies album Bossa Nova. Okay. W- which is, um, as as a band, probably one of our favorite records. And um, yeah, just wanted to do you know, do fun things.
2: Well, you mentioned that that one song was on Daylight Breaking. I want to I ask you a little bit. Now, Daylight Breaking came out on Vagrant in 2004. I mean, it yeah. was number 36 on Billboard for the indie albums. And then it just Weird. seemed like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But then it just seemed like you guys, I didn't hear a lot about you guys after that. And then your next thing you put out was the Winter Long EP in 2011. And according to the the internet, that said that that was on Siren. So can you kind of take me through that time period and and tell me what was going on with the band?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the backstory to Daylight Breaking is the fact that in 2002 um, we split with Pat being in the band. He ended up joining... um, another local band from the area called from satellite. Okay. And, um, that band ended up getting like on a major and stuff like that. And so there was, there was some time that had passed from diagram to what became daylight. And I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, life and self maturity happened. Between all of us um, as individuals, and I think maybe our our musical influences had kind of shifted, maybe not shifted, but because I think a lot of like we all listen, we've all been an eclectic bunch, and maybe that's evident through some of our songwriting, even starting at sadness. Um, we were always a bit schizophrenic, and so I think after all the years of of being involved in the pop punk scene and and uh kind of getting deeply into that I think we felt Max Jeremy and I felt like it was time to kind of change things up to kind of push ourselves to to do something that was a little more exciting or relevant to where we were yeah and I think that kind of created a little bit of a divide between us and Pat because Pat was always pushing for, for the pop punk sound and, you know, to, to his defense, I think we, we did it well. We had our own style with it. And, but I think the, the fact is, is we were just kind of moving on from that. Um, and so when it came to writing daylight, I think we initially, we we did so many different rounds of demoing and writing songs after Diagram and it it went m- a few different places and I think uh, we kind of found where we wanted to go when we simplified the band and it was just down to Max, Jeremy and I and we wrote pretty much most of of daylight breaking as a three piece, just kind of sitting in our rehearsal space with um, maybe, I think I was playing drums pretty much most of the time. Every once in a while, Max would play drums. And maybe most of it was written with just two guitars and we just wrote bass lines later. Or like one of us played bass, one played guitar. But we kind of just, we knew we were, we had entered a whole new realm as a band because Pat started the band with Jeremy, so you know, everything was different. We've kind of felt like we had the freedom to do literally whatever we wanted to do. And so um there was no like goal for writing that record other than trying to um basically write for ourselves. Yeah. And and um and uh I think Pat was still in the band when we had started writing songs like independence day and into the darkness. I, I'm pretty sure he was, he had demoed the drums for, for the origins of those songs. But, um, um, I think we kind of just let it roll and, and we let whatever we wanted to do just kind of take flight and, um, we recorded most of the record as a three piece at the same studio that we recorded the first two records in ojai um but i i think it being the third record on vagrant and having the relate built the relationship we had with them and we as a three piece went to the label and said hey we've got this all figured out. We've, we've written this record. We know exactly what we want it to sound like. We would like to just produce this ourselves and, and engineer it ourselves and take it from there. And they gave us a green light and we just locked ourselves in the studio for, for a couple months and, uh, went, went crazy in there. <laughs> 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 and, and, um, I think at some point, while we were on the tail end of making the record, um, it was evident that, that I was just going to move to drums and that we would need a new bass player. And so we enlisted our good friend, um, Jeff Hershey to, to take over bass duties. And, um, during that tail end of the process, um, vagrant wanted us to, um, I think we recorded brand new day. We recorded that song a few times. We recorded it with Pat. Um and, and John Feldman actually recorded a, a version for it, which was the version that we made the music video for. Um and I think the initial re recording of it for for Daylight Vagrant wasn't too keen on that version. I think we might have changed some things up and they were like not feeling it. So at that point in time we had jeff already in the band so we re-recorded that song and at and then wrote the song laid to rest with jeff and uh those two songs if you are a a, uh, an audio nerd um you could probably tell that those two songs sound quite a bit different uh than the rest of the record
2: was this around the time wasn't there a, an EP called like Lola?
1: Yeah, so lo all right, so
2: I remember getting uh, that at a record store and not really understanding because it was around that same time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to make sense of all of this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the this timeline nonsense. is fuzzy for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um the songs on Lola, most of the songs on Lola which I think are uh Independence Day, Grey Notes Fall and keep it going i think so independence day and gray notes fall that is the actual recording from daylight breaking and that mix is was done by chad blinman the same dude who uh engineered and mixed sadness and diagram and um we love the mix and it sounds totally natural and i will i'll be the first to say that in hindsight, uh, speaking now, uh, about that record (laughs) that we recorded back then, I I didn't really have any idea what the fuck I was doing, but, um, I had hired, uh, an engineer to, to track the drums. Um, this dude, Josh, uh, Blevins, I don't know what happened to him after that recording, but he was kind enough to help us engineer that. And um, we just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. We, like, I didn't technically really know what the hell I was doing. I had done a, a couple hardcore records, punk records, before we did um, Daylight. But I'll just say that my knowledge and skills were uh, much to be desired. <laughs> but um, Chad worked with, with it as to the best of his ability. Um, I wouldn't call it like literally shining a turd, but like I'm sure there were many challenges that we presented to him, and in the end, we really loved what he did. But I think that Vagrant truly believed that it needed one of those modern rock mixes, yeah, like the straight, you know, whatever the hell was going on in 2003 mix, you know, that kind of thing, and so. Lola ended up being the teaser EP before the, before the real record came out. And so we used the Chad mixes to those two songs. And Keep It Going was a demo that uh, Jeremy and I had recorded just for fun um, in tribute to, to one of our friends that had passed away. And so we really loved that song and we needed another song or wanted another song for that teaser EP. And so that's basically what Lola became. And, um, it sounds a little different because it's not the same mix as, as, uh, daylight. But if you, if you, uh, if you listen to daylight on Spotify, there's a, there's a number of errors on that thing that I believe at this point are, are too late to sort out. But, um, I think the mix for Independence Day might be might be the Lola mix if you were to listen to it on Spotify. And um I know they mixed up some of the some of the, tr- the track names on there as well. But um but anyway, Daylight Breaking was uh the final mix was done by uh, a man named Chris Shaw who uh at the time, was Andy Wallace's assistant engineer. Okay. And I believe he had, like, some John Spencer Blues Explosion records under his belt and and a few others that I can't recall at this time. But um, I think the, the fact that he was Andy Wallace's engineer and knew the Wallace sound, so to speak, without the Wallace price tag... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that led to him mixing the record and and he did he did a, an amazing job he definitely did uh some of those modern things that um you know i think Vagrant hoped would happen on on that mix and uh yeah man that's that's that record and then uh fast forwarding to to Winterlong um Siren Records was a record label put together by, um, my, one of my best friends, Donnie Phillips and, um, and our buddy, uh, James Lockwood, both at the time, uh, were employees of Warner brothers records. Um, Donnie was an art director and James was, I believe like a marketing dude. And they just wanted. they were, um, they are fans of, you know, punk hardcore um very very music savvy dudes of course working at record labels but they wanted to do their own thing and um they they reached out to me about um having no motive do a record on siren and one thing led to another and and uh they put it out for us and um the vinyl version was put out by a label called Black Numbers and so there's uh there's a little bit of vinyl floating out around there and um uh CDs as well as digital but we uh we weren't really an active touring band at that point we were just um we just made the the EP to make it and we played a few shows to support it but we just kind of did it to do it. Um,
2: so you guys have yeah. never like broken up. You've just kind of gone on these long hiatuses, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I we never we never officially broke up. We we definitely did the hiatus thing uh, a number of times. Um, I would probably I'd probably point to that for perhaps our inability to to you know stay in people's minds or become a a more successful band than, than what we were that coupled with our inability to just stick to one style. If you listen to every record we put out, they're so vastly different from the other. And, you know, it is what it is. We, we always just made music to make music because we love it. And, and we're all, you know, we're all brothers in this. And, um, we just kind of always just followed our hearts and, and and our guts whenever we wrote songs and made records. And you know, I think uh there was there was a lot that went into us taking breaks, whether it was, you know, um life just kind of taking a hold of us or I know that um I know that the, the break that we took after Diagram um that was that was probably initiated by by 911 we were on tour when 911 happened and we were we were touring pretty ridiculously um at that time and i think you know our our perspective on life itself kind of led us to to taking a break and being home with our families and stuff like that and so you know i think whether it had been relationships or or just life i think that's kind of what killed our momentum literally from record to record we would we would go crazy touring and then burn ourselves out take a little too long and then we write a record which takes forever yeah. you know that whole process um but after so when we made Daylight, um, things just kind of got strange because the I think the label had large aspirations for us. And while we vocally agreed that we wanted to go for it and do all that we could, it was kind of a strange climate for all of us because Vagrant had established themselves as the, the label that they were. With the roster that that they had, and while it was eclectic, I don't think I don't think any of the bands had necessarily g- gone forth and tried to go into the mainstream, yeah, and like break out of whatever realm that the label and each other had created. Because you know, at, at that point in time, Vagrant had become an empire. They had, um, they had
2: so many great bands, man.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, at that time it was kind of like vagrant versus drive through, which which bands were bigger than the other, and who could have the more, who could have more success. But we all lived within the realm of that, right? We, it was like
2: it was kind of like that indie bubble. You could get to the top of it, and then like not a lot of bands were trying to go through to that major label mainstream thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unless you were going the blink route, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And and which that's cool, you know. But uh, I think we made a we we basically made a rock record, and Vagrant wanted to push it to the rock world, and the opp- opportunities that had presented themselves were a bit strange, <laughs> to say the least. Um, uh, we toured with Andrew WK, <laughs> yeah. which. Which sounded good at the time, and the tour was extremely eclectic. Um, I believe the main support band was the Locust. Really, and and uh, and it was us. It was it was supposed to be. I could be wrong here, but uh, Sheer Terror might have been okay. supposed to be on the tour. Okay, us. and and The Locust and Andrew WK, but I believe Sheer Terror dropped off the tour, and so they were replaced partially by the band Jersey. Do you remember the band Jersey?
2: I do. Jordan from Jersey uh, is in Alexis on Fire now.
1: Word, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know
2: Jersey. We played. My old band used to play with them all the time up in Canada.
1: Hell yeah. So yeah, they were on the first leg of the tour, and that was cool because they were kind of like, they bridged the gap. From with us, you know, to yeah. to whatever the fuck was going on on the rest of the bill, and then the second half of that uh, was a band called Fireball Ministry, and I don't know if you're familiar. I've with I've heard them, that
2: but, name. I don't think I've listened to the band or not though. Um,
1: th- they sound kind of like Black Sabbath. Okay, <laughs> meets meets um like Jewish priest or something. Okay, so mm, you know, needless to say. Eclectic bill, uh did it go over well? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean there there were there were many people. It was a well attended tour, but it's safe to say that Andrew Andrew WK's fan base went to the shows to see Andrew WK. Yeah. Not to see anybody else. So you know, the rest of us were kind of like, man, this is this is weird. This is really weird and this is this is like a seven week long weird experience. And uh that just kinda like that was the beginning of of, of Strange for us. After that we did not one but two tours with Finger Eleven. Oh, really? <laughs> and um that's that, that seems
2: kind of weird to me too. Like that that whole the mix of you guys with that
1: band. Oh yeah. uh, Dude, it was such a strange time. It's like booking agent, label management—they all wanted the best for us, but like we just didn't know where where to go. Yeah, because apparently, to to everybody, playing within our playing within our comfort zone wasn't going to be good for this record, so they wanted us to kind of get out of our comfort zone and that led us to that (laughs) and and in the end it was just strange and i mean we i we have nothing no ill words about finger 11 they were they were honestly like really awesome dudes to tour with they were all down to earth um musically obviously sure i guess maybe the sound of daylight breaking went okay with with what they had going on um but we still played much of our much of our catalog yeah and so um yeah man a strange time for us and and uh i i think just everything had changed we did we did a tour before the record we did before the record came out we did the tour with rx bandits and fairweather and that's probably one of the funnest tours that we've ever been on. We've made lifelong friends on that tour and and things were kind of going in a cool direction after that and I think the first tour we did for the record was um an alkaline trio tour it, it, I think it was dubbed vagrant America tour perhaps um and it was the trio Reggie from on Ashes and us and we were. You know, after all these years and all these tours that we had done, we had become yet again the opening band on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on a tour. And we were just like, man, this is weird.
2: Was, well, who, was, who was main support? Was Reggie or From Autumn to Ashes?
1: Uh, Reggie was main okay. support.
2: See, From Autumn to Ashes on that tour, I find kind of strange. You know what I mean? I it know-
1: was strange. It was strange. But like, it was just kind of a strange tour. i don't know man times have changed for sure like um and i'm not naysaying trio like uh, they're great dudes yeah great band but at that point in time i think they 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 had toured so much that they were maybe they were on autopilot or maybe the camaraderie on the tour wasn't quite what it was on previous tours with the trio yeah and it had become or felt like it was much more business, and so I think we were super, super excited to do the tour, and it just wasn't it just wasn't what we hoped it would be and And I think, like fans, perhaps us being opening and us having this record of whatever it sounded like it just wasn't it didn't it didn't turn out the way we hoped it would, you know. And it is what it is, yeah, but that kind of led to leaving that realm and entering the other realm, which also was strange, <laughs> so um I think, at the end of that, we just felt like we had kind of become a thing that was not what we intended it to be, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah we we didn't write that record hoping that we would become this like mainstream rock band it just kind of happened and so uh i and i can't say that we became a mainstream rock band it's just the sound of the record was viewed as such even though (laughs) ironically we were trying to to do the opposite we were just trying to write an edgy record that like would be uh i don't know bridging bridging everything together like all of our influences throughout our lives but um you know it is what it is uh i I think we we love the record for what it is and oddly enough we kind of like created another different fan base because you know in all honesty it's basically a different band altogether yeah yeah. um my drumming style and pat's drumming style isn't necessarily the same and and uh the songwriting is 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 obviously very different and so i think uh it wasn't a complete failure touring with a dub or finger 11 because we, we certainly um gained fans and and like a different type of fan base doing those tours but um in the end i think we exhausted ourselves in the process and uh um i think we reached a point i reached a point where i felt like we kind of hit a brick wall and i believe in 2005 that's when i told the dudes like hey i love you guys so much but i don't think i i want to do this like we've been doing this anymore and so um Now it's very ironic, but I had told them that I, I just wanted to take a break from the road and I wanted to concentrate on, on recording engineering. And I did that for a little bit, but then I ended up being the guy that, that ended up, uh, uh, touring almost full time for, for a long time after that. I,
2: uh, who are you touring with?
1: uh, so after after we kind of went on hiatus cuz we never like broke up we were just like hey we need to stop we just need to stop doing yeah. this for a while. Yeah. Um I ended up doing a few tours uh with the band The Warriors, the hardcore band. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which which is a band that I had uh been recording. I recorded I I produced almost every Warriors record, except for one. Um, and then I ended up joining the band in the process. I, it it started off with me just kind of being a fill in drummer for, for the dudes. Um, and then one thing led to another, and then now I'm in the band. But, um, after that, I, in 2008, I became RX bandits, uh, for a house engineer and I kind of, kind of rode that wave for a long time until 2016 and then um, um in between that I did I did a couple tours with Newfound um teching for Cyrus and Ian and then um I did a fill in tour base teching for Ben Harper and the Innocent Criminals wow and um You've been busy, man. Been busy, just kind of, you know, it, it was ironic that i that i kind of put the ban on break because i didn't want to tour and then i just went on tour forever but yeah. it is what it is we all kind of like we all uh forged our own paths separate from each other and and met up with that being said many times because even though no motive stopped playing in 2005 um uh jeff and i Did like a a Misfits style band called Hybrid Moments, which never left Ventura County, but we kind of like built a fan base, oddly enough, doing like Misfits covers and then our own songs. And then, um, and then, uh, Jeff and Jeremy started a band called Monster Hand that unfortunately never saw the light of day, but they wrote some really awesome, like Radiohead themed, uh, music. And then Max has a solo project called Gentleman that siren put out um his full-length record which i played on and recorded so wow um we've all we've all stayed in each other's lives musically throughout throughout um you know throughout life but uh um we actually wrote winter long uh probably not that long after we stopped touring and i unfortunately lost the entire there were demos but i lost those recordings um with a hard drive failure and so winter long ended up being a re-recording of those songs oh, which wow. i i don't mind because i think that came out better anyway but
2: Yeah, I like the fact that you guys, there was never some huge drama and you guys broke up and it leaves it open ended. So like, you know, celebrating the 20 year anniversary of in the sadness prevails, you guys can get back and you can play these shows and you can do a re-release. I like the fact that it's, it's such a big part of your life that it's still there no matter what does that feel for sure does it man. feel good getting back with the guys and actually kind of, I'm sure you poured over pictures and, and as you were <laughs> mixing the stuff, I'm sure the nostalgia came in just like oh, the song yeah, you guys man. have, you know,
1: for sure. We, I, there, there's been uh, countless occasions where I've, I've nearly come to tears, just kind of reminiscing on stuff and, and listening back because, you know, being the, <laughs> this is, fucking corny but being the band that created i don't even want to say we created but we use the term sag core, yeah we're a bunch of uh you know highly emotional sentimental dudes and yeah. uh doing something like this totally brings out so many emotions in us and um and it's true like we've we've put our friendship before the band absolutely we've all we've all maintained being close, and of course there was of course there was a little bit of weirdness and tension with pat um with us you know basically kicking him out of his own band that he started that that of you know even even with that uh no motive ended up playing a handful of shows with from satellite, and so all is all was well in the world, you know we all kind of moved on. And, in the in the several years since no motive was active um pat and jeremy who started the band together they they've definitely rekindled the the closeness of friendships that they had when when we were kids and stuff and now we're all now we're all like very much involved in each other's lives and um while i'm without children or married the rest of the dude's all have kids and are married and have careers and lives and stuff like that. And so it's super awesome watching these dudes bring their families t- together and all of us kind of hang out with each other and kids getting to know each other. It's super trippy, man. I mean, you know, we're all, we're all, I mean, Max is our lone band member now that's in his 30s, but you know, we're basically a bunch of 40 year olds. Yeah. Um, still doing the thing in in our own capacity whatever whatever our lives allow us to do and it's it's almost it is it's more awesome now because we don't have to and we don't plan on uh, using this band to to make a living even though we've we've uh we've been doing this re-release and we've been playing these shows like we're not making any money doing yeah, any yeah, of this yeah. stuff we're basically spending our money to do this just because of our love for for music and and our love for the for the record itself it's like um as long as you know all we really hoped was to to kind of reimburse ourselves for the expenses put into to doing all this stuff and and i think we're we're going to get there <laughs> and so yeah all all is good and um we're all super happy to be playing together again and uh i think we're just we're truly like a a kind of a large family of musicians even though um even though we've got Pat in the mix right now and we're and we're doing we're doing stuff um like this um Jeff our 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 bass player him and um, one of the band members from from satellite, um, Armand, the dude that, transferred the, uh, the tapes to digital. Yeah. with me. Um, they play in a band called Night Demon, which is on Century Media. They're doing like a new wave of British heavy metal band, and they wow. They're, they're highly successful in Europe. And so unfortunately, Jeff and Armand had to go on tour while we did these sadness reunion shows. And so while it's a bummer to not have the whole family together for this sort of thing, we're like super pumped at the idea that all of us, you know, we've been playing music with each other since we were teenagers. Yeah. And to know that those dudes are out in Europe doing their thing and having success and we're able to to get together and do this and play these shows and and like see the city of oxnard and ventura and our scene and the bands kind of thriving right now it's super awesome like we couldn't really ask for more with what's going on in our lives
2: well that's great man i've had you on the phone for quite a while i'd I'd like to know what is the what does the future hold not only for No (laughs) no motive but also for you
1: um well for for no motive we've got uh our our friend Zach Nelson, um, who I play in another band with called Retaliate, uh, he's putting together a new Nardcore compilation um, with with another dude out of here uh, named Andrew Hester, and so we're getting uh, we're going to do a new No Motive song for this comp, awesome, and um, and there's there's so many bands from the area now that deserve to and are going to be on this compilation that basically every song has to be two minutes or less <laughs> <laughs>
2: so it all fits on there
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so we've got this new track that max wrote um and we're hopefully going to record it in the next in, within the next month and uh and take it from there i know that uh we've been uh we've been trying to to rekindle a uh show relationship with our buddies in Good Riddance, who took us on our first tour in 99. Good Riddance has been playing some shows, and they've been trying to get us on, on some of them, and I think just our schedule and our ability has been kind of Actually, challenging. Actually, this, is, this is going
2: to come out a couple of weeks from now, but they just started in Portland tonight, their new tour.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, Russ was sure. on this
2: show a couple of weeks back.
1: Oh, sweet, sweet. Yeah, yeah they they've got I know they got some stuff planned for January or February and like we got offered shows, but I don't know if we're going to be able to make any of them happen, but like if we could kind of do stuff like that, you know, play, play shows with, with some of our friends who got stuff going on, or if we can get it together and just play, play a little bit more. I, I know that, I know that we were super happy with, with, with playing together again and, and, uh, and just doing that. So, while we don't have the ability or the aspirations to tour anymore or do things on that level, I know we want to exist and yeah. and be active in whatever at whatever capacity we're we are allowed to and um we'll see how things go. I know we got this song, and we'll kind of take it from there if if this goes smoothly and we and we have a great time, I'm kind of hoping that maybe we could write some more stuff, you know.
2: That'd be awesome man so what are the socials for you and the band? How can people find you
1: guys online uh, well we got we have the facebook we got the no motive Facebook. I think if you just look at you know uh, facebook com slash no motive you'll be able to find us and then on Instagram, we are no motive official and um, and that's about it for, for socials. I know that there's a no motive Twitter. Yeah. And the person that, that actually owns that reached out to me and asked me if I wanted it. And I just told him like, hey man, I don't even use Twitter. Yeah. I don't like we're not like we're not trying to be um, like a band that's doing a lot of crap. So yeah. you just go ahead and enjoy having that, man. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so that's that's that. That's that's what we got for the demo of socials
2: for now. Cool man. Well, hey, I just want to say it was an honor having you on the show. I've been a fan for a long time and Cheers, uh, Chris. I've heard some of the some of the new stuff. Uh your publicist sent it over to me. It's really really good, man. I love the remix.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it very much.
2: And I'd love to have you back on the show in the future if you've got some other stuff happening, so just let me know, man. We're we're buddies now.
1: Absolutely. I would love to. I actually have um the Warriors is putting out um, a record next month on Pure Noise awesome. called Monomyth. And uh, maybe we could chat about that because that's that was a. I'm down a with that, man.
2: Yeah, man. Just uh, send me some of the stuff. Let me check it out. I'll have you back. We can talk about the Warriors.
1: Sounds great. Awesome. Will do, man.
2: Have a great night, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy?
1: Thanks, Chris. Yeah, bye. Take it easy.
2: So there it was. My conversation with Mr. Roger Camaro from No Motive and the Warriors. I hope that you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Roger's such a cool guy. And like I said, we've texted back and forth uh, since we had the conversation. He's just such a nice guy. And I love geeking out with people about recording stuff because it had been a long time since I'd been in the studio. And when I started doing the podcast, it like it had that same vibe because I'm, I'm recording stuff and now I'm doing demos again and it feels so good. I'm learning how to program drums and all this crazy stuff. So, uh, Me and Roger geeking out on the recording stuff. That was a lot of fun. I hope you guys liked that. But uh, I'm going to get out of here. I know that this is a long episode, and I like to keep these things around an hour to an hour and a half, and I'm already a little bit past that. So thank you guys for all the support. If you want to help the show out, like I said, go to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. If you just want to help us out without any financials, (laughs) you can just go subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. Or you can just share it with your friends. I've had so many people in the last week or two sharing on Facebook and and tagging us in their stories on Instagram. That's such a cool thing. It's like this grassroots kind of word of mouth thing. That's how this show is going to grow. And I appreciate you guys so much. Every one of you that has done that, you guys are a big part of why this show is growing the way that it is. And uh, I can't thank you enough. So thanks. (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. So I'm going to get out of here. Hit me up on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Go to TOTOTpodcast.com and poke around a little bit. It's just a link tree. There's all of our different links and everything. So check that out. And I will see you guys next week. I'm going to keep it a secret who's on the show next week. You will find out very, very soon. But I'm sure that you guys will really, really enjoy it. So I'm going to play some music like I always do. No Motive just recently, you know, released the remaster remix of And the Sadness Prevails, their debut that came out 20 years ago on Vagrant Records. It's such a good album, and if you guys have not heard it, you need to check it out. And I mean, why not check out the remix remastered version? It's, I mean, Roger mixed it, and then Paul from Death by Stereo mastered it. You cannot get a better duo than that. You know, I'm thinking that when I get these songs done for the widow Jenkins, I might hit up both of those dudes to help me out because I love what the stuff sounds like. So Spotify, Apple Music, everything, man, they've it's on there. You got to go check it out. And uh, if you do the physical copy, you'll get a 7-inch as well with an acoustic track, everything that we talked about in the podcast. So check out No Motive. They are all over the place on the socials, and all of the information will be in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. So I'm going to play one of my favorite songs on that debut. This song is called The Waiting Hurt. So thank you, guys. Have an excellent week, and uh, get your Christmas shopping done because it's sneaking up. I've got kids now, and I tell you, man, every year they keep getting older. And I mean, now they want stuff. <sighs> like the first couple years, it's just whatever. Get them whatever. They're they're babies. Silas now wants so much stuff. He wants yellow headphones. He wants a blippy backpack. I don't know if you guys out there have kids or not, but Blippy is this crazy guy that has suspenders. And the weird hat, and he's all of it, the colors on him are blue and orange, and he teaches kids about power tools and and helicopters. So uh yeah, I I told my wife the other day I think I want to get Bliffy on the show because I think that would be a cool, a cool guy to talk to. He he's makes a lot of money on YouTube. It kind of blows me away. So uh yeah, Christmas. Can't wait for it. It's gonna be awesome. But I will talk to you guys next week. This has gone way too long. I love you. Thanks for the support. This is No Motive with The Waiting Hurt. Peace! Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. We want to tell you about our podcast, None But the Brave, which is dedicated to taking a deep dive into the work of Bruce Springsteen.
1: We're currently in our fifth season. Our latest episodes
2: focus heavily on Bruce's 2024 tour and have featured such guests as Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network, and Barstool's Kirk Minahan. We're also covering the 40th anniversary of Bruce's biggest record, Born in the USA. And as part of that, coming up this week, Uprock's cultural critic Stephen Hayden returns to the show for a fascinating hour long conversation about his new book, There Was Nothing You Could Do Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA and the End of the Heartland. To listen, you can go to our website, mbtbpodcast.com, or subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform. We hope to see you further on up the road.
0: Thank you so- We'll be seeing you!